are listening to Fast Track Podcast, the place to be to fast track your personal finance or fast track your business or both. Through a series of conversations with those who have learned it, done it, and made it. Before starting the episode, I have very exciting news to share with you. I am collaborating with financial imagineer Matthias Richter to launch the Fast Track Money course. This six-week online course is designed to help young professionals in their 20s to early 40s to learn how to save more, earn more, and invest, using money as a tool to fulfill your dreams. We teach you the proven method that Matthias has been using himself in the last 20 years and achieved financial independence. So sign up today on fasttrack.live/moneycourse to transform your relationship with money from today. Today I have real estate investor David Schreier with me, and he has more than eight years' experience with real estate investment in Switzerland. He started almost from scratch. But nowadays, he had made it to multi millions in real estate investment. We have a lot to learn from him in today's session. And in the past, he used to work in the financing sector, dealing with asset evaluators, bankers, and investors, collecting all the knowledge he had from his professional experiences and his personal interests in real estate. He made to where he is today, and I'm so glad to have him on this show. And he's going to share with us what makes a good real estate investment, how to calculate the ROI. What are the mistakes you should avoid, and what are the best practices? So, welcome to Fast Track Podcast, David. Hi, Azim. Thanks. Glad to be here. This is a podcast session that is long overdue, but I'm so glad to have you here on Sunday morning recording this session with me. I'm sure you're very busy, but I feel very grateful. In the past, you、uh, worked in the financing sector. I want to dig a little bit more into that. How was that experience helped you in your real estate investment? I think the the interesting thing is first to see many objects. You see the customers' issues, what they're facing.、Mm, also, I think customers' issues on one side, and also you see the different banks, you see their quotas, and also the interest they charge, how you can negotiate with them, and、uh, this is really helpful later on. Of course, they will not tell you everything it needs because they come up with their own numbers. But if you are a awake person and you're really interested in what you do as a job. I think、uh, you learn from that, and then you can apply it in your life. You can, you basically learn to for the bank how to formulate things, what is important for the bank side, like for the financing side, and、uh, you can connect basically both pieces. And I think that's very crucial. So this help to this help basically both side who lends out the money and then the side who needs to borrow money, and then you know how they do the calculation, and basically you can tweak your personal situation to get what you want in the best scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yes,、yeah. the financing part and the buying part. So you you can basically then learn a lot for yourself as well. So that was very crucial information, and I think very important. And tell us a little bit more about your、uh, personal story. How did you get into real estate investment? Why it's so interesting for you? How did you get started at that time eight years ago? As a financial advisor, I see many customers' portfolios. So I start making my own mind. What would I invest in? And real estate was one of them. Like I also used to invest in ETFs very early on. Like right now, ETFs is a very common thing, exchange traded funds. And but back in zero eight, I think it was not so famous yet. But I early on invested in ETFs as well. So I'm pretty open to all kind of investments. I think they all have 
the reason to be here and I think they're all interesting in their own way. For me, I just decided that real estate is surely a viable candidate for me. I also thought it can be pretty profitable as a leverage point of view because I thought in 08, it is good to buy and you would have a good leverage on that because to be to make it very practical for normal people a normal person an average person cannot go eight and but i only start actually investing in 2014 roughly speaking so i bought the first five units for me in uh, 2014 until there i was uh, mainly invested in stocks is the reason why you wait six years to the bank say I would like to have a 60-70% loan on my own capital to get stock, right? The bank will say, uh, this is way too risky, I will not lend you this. But if you say I will, uh, I will buy real estate, they will. So it gives you already as an average earner a much higher leverage. So this is a very crucial thing to leverage the position and basically hit above your weight. You are a very young man at that time, so you realize that... Yeah interesting part about real estate because of the leverage and how did you decide to take the plunge in 2014? Yeah, because of course I had to build up the capital first. Like Switzerland is famously a very expensive real estate market. It's, I think it's one of the most expensive one internationally. I still think it's a good market overall. I think the real estate market per se is good. I think it's a bit expensive now, but the market is good, meaning that I think the ownership rights here are very good. Swiss has good ownership rights for Swiss citizens. And if you can buy, if you can actually buy, the ownership rights are very good. Um, some countries having issues with their ownership rights. For me, that's a big uh, no-go. Like many Asian countries, for example, have only limited ownership rights. That's, you know, a little bit challenging, let's say. So I think that's interesting in Swiss. The ownership rights are very protected here. And um, I think similar to America, it's also very strong. But uh, I first had to build up the capital. So I first uh, invested in ETF and stocks and more liquid assets. So it took me till 2014 to accumulate simply the capital for that. In 2014, how did you choose your first investment property? What is the process? What's your thought process? What's the actual process? The first property for sure, the important was that the profit is have to be right. The location, the first one was a challenging one because it's also privately a thing because I have uh, three kids by now. I'm married and I have three kids. I knew that I also want to live in there. So I had to, really I had to cover many things. I want to live in there. Then it have to be profitable. I have to think it's also attractive to, to live there. You know? And also I have to like it. You know, you have to fit the family. So sometimes profitable object and the family object is not exactly the same. They can be different from each other. On the other side, I would also clearly say, if you would live in there yourself with your family, then maybe it's still not a bad object because obviously if you think it's good, then other people might also think it's good. So I think I needed somewhat a central position. I knew that I will not be able to afford to have something in the middle of a big city. First of all, I think the market was already then in 2014, very expensive. I wish to buy in 08, but it was simply not possible. In 2014, I thought it was already pretty expensive. So a city was difficult to have it. And also, personally speaking, for the family, I would like to have something a bit outside. I needed something a little bit outside and also with enough profit. And how much profit need to do, it depends very strongly, right? Where the exact position is and the age of the building. I would say like outside of the main cities, I personally would think it's good if it makes 5 to 7%, 5 to 7% annual profit. If it makes more, it would be great, it would be difficult to find. 
And I did actually find something in this area. So this is pretty important. And the older the building is, of course, the profit has to be higher. This is it. Also to consider is, of course, special factors. Can you invent, for example, is the rent below market price or above market price or at the market price? Is there innovation you need to immediately do? Can you, after innovation, raise the price? I actually did find my first object and I still love it now. I still have it. Like, actually, I have all my objects. They're holding all of them and had a super good experience with it. I still like it. I go there from time to time. I did many renovations as well. And yeah, and I used to live there as well. So it's really, it's a great object. Yeah. Interesting, because when you talk about outside of main city, five to seven percent is good because some of our, our audience might come from other countries, especially Asian market. It was a little bit crazy out there. Uh, so let's just say here is in Switzerland, the market is a little bit more stable. I think that's a good point because five to seven percent in Switzerland, if you get it from the return from the real estate. But on the other hand, the bank interest rate is zero or even negative. You have more cash. You, you see it's a really profitable investment. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Important here is to say as well that I'm just talking like the, the cash profit, huh? like from the cash, not talking any kind of in increase in value, because I think in many Asian countries, actually, the cash flow profit is actually not super big. Like the rent is not even that high sometimes. The mortgage can be also quite expensive and higher interest. So the cash flow is not so extremely positive in some Asian country, but the, the increase in value is big. Yes. Not always, but it depends. It's tricky. But with five to seven, I really mean a pure cash profit, like nothing about value. Like I, mm -hmm. I assume the value would stay same forever. This thing, is a yeah. good point for real estate investors. Should they look at asset appreciation to think about if it's a good investment or they should focus more on the cash flow, cash flow RI? Yeah, that's a good question. I think both is important. There is for sure strategy to go on both. Okay, like some of them, they go for increase in value, some of them pure cash flow. The best, of course, would be if you have both of them, right? You have increase in value and cash flow. Even better would be you have cash flow value, then you have increase in value, and you have a, a cash flow which goes higher. Like you, for example, double the cash flow of the real estate. If you double the cash flow, you have then double the cash and double the valuation, not even Wait, considering mean, the increase in value. What do you mean by double the cash flow of the real estate? Let's say you have a real estate. It's a good location. It's just not look after the real estate. Like it's not. A, it's a great building, but they, they don't care it. They don't give it the love. You know, you can feel that. Maybe it has a, a ten appreciate the building. Like maybe it's a fantastic building. You love it, but the people living there don't love it. I, I see this many times. I personally like very old buildings. I like any old buildings. I really like it. And for me, it's also personally, I really just appreciate it very much and I care it very good. Sometimes they are pretty cheap to rent. Not always. But sometimes you have people in there that just don't appreciate. They just think it's cheap. But actually, it's great. It's nice. And so you have to bring out the character of this building. You know, and then you have to make a nice building out of this. And then you will have people really love it. For example, a Victorian style, old building. I, I totally love it. I think it's a dream. I really like with a fishtail floor. I would love that so much. I know people, they love that too. They think that's awesome. They will pay a lot to be in a Victorian style fishtail ground building and with nice floor and all those details. But if they're not really maintained, they can not even be, sometimes they are pretty cheap. And, and there are people in there that are there because it's cheap. They don't like, like Victorian buildings. 
So they don't pay for that. They just pay the cheap price. And then I think sometimes the good thing to do is to renovate this, make it nice. It's good for the building. It's also good for the city because in the end you have better tenants. You can raise the rent and then you have people really appreciate it. Like they really love it. And people, they really like where they stay. They will look to the place much better. So in this situation, what you will have is you will have a cash flow, which is much higher than before. The valuation already went up because the cash flow is higher. And you also have then the inflation increase through inflation or other factors, like it's closer to the city or the city growing. So then you have three to four factors all together. That's a very good example. So coming back to the cash flow thing, when you calculate the investment return, just give us a very basic education <laughs> for some who have yeah. not studied with investment in real estate yet, how to calculate the return and uh, how to actually use your own money more effectively. Sure. I think important is that you make your own calculations. Like I see many, I see many documents I get from basically pitches from sellers. I think it's important to run your own name numbers and to know your numbers. And also you really have your idea, what should it be? For me, the sale price is just what would he like to have? It's his numbers. I just, usually what I do is I check how much is the net inflows, like without heating costs, just pure the net inflows. And then I calculate them through the percentage I want to have, multiply 100. And then you have the, the buying price. So let's say it's 100,000, right? The net inflows a year, 100,000 Swiss francs. It's like roughly $100,000 through 6%, multiple 100, through 6, multiple 100, then that's the price. And from this, you deduct all the renovation necessary. So if, for example, you land at a certain number, right? Then, then but you have to remake the, the heating or the roof and it costs 100,000, then you have to deduct this from the price. It's important, you know? And then this is what you should pay. Is leverage included or not? So does it mean that we, we when we see a um, potential real estate property, we see how much rent we can get from it per year. Yes. And then we divide it by the desired ROI and mm -hmm. then times 100, then we that's the price. But in this case, we did not count the leverage factor, right? Yes, you, this is basically, yeah, this is without leverage. This is just uh, the profit before leverage, of course. If then you would have, uh, let's say, you bring 25% on capital, you have this, of course, multiple four, right. because uh, you leverage by four, by the factor of four. So, of course, the own capital profit can be very big. That's this is exactly the point. Let's say in the situation in Switzerland, a lot of people, they need to prepare a lot of cash in order to invest, because here the price, absolute price is quite high, like half a million to several million. How can average investors, if they prepare the cash, to best leverage on the mortgage? And how can they best negotiate with the bank, get a good rate or even qualified to get a mortgage? Sure. Let me split up in certain points. Let's first maybe start with, let's start with how to get to go to mortgage, right? That's a good point. If, if you want to get a good mortgage, you have to run your own numbers as well. So I, for example, I have uh, documents which shows pretty much how the bank calculates this estate. I have documents at home and the Excel's prepared. So I pretty much can assess pretty accurately what the bank will have as a value. So I know exactly if I change this on the state, then the value for the bank will be this. So I see always the, the value between what the bank will say the value is and what's the what I paid for it. And if I see, for example, the value is much is higher than what I paid for it, 
then this gives me a very strong negotiating point at the bank because they will see the same thing. And then obviously for them, the risk is very small and you, you can get a good rate because then they see, all right, this is actually, this house has many reserves, so you get a good rate. So important, important is that you have to you have to really check the financial data very carefully, you know, to have that in mind with anything you invest or any renovation as well. What's what you get and what you invest. And you have to be really honest with yourself and sometimes also honest with the tenants. I'm pretty honest. I'm pretty transparent with those things. And if you find this sweet spot there, then you get automatically a very good rent very good rate and also you have to understand a little bit which bank likes which object different banks have different preferences i guess this is also in other countries the case in switzerland too some banks like cities more some banks are okay with not cities you know i have both i have some flat some houses in the middle of cities some of them a little bit outside you have to find the right objects some banks are pretty good with businesses in the buildings some actually not so you have to find out the preference. And here, to person who doesn't know which one is which one, I think you just have to try. You have to have your numbers and then approach them. And then see, you will see different results from different banks. Because especially in the business area, like multiple flat houses with businesses, the difference can be big. And also old buildings. Some banks like old buildings, some of them they don't. So this is pretty specific. That's a very great insider tips. How can so how can average investor that like different banks have different preferences in real estate? Very interesting point. Do you have anything to share yeah. with us? Is it okay? Like which bank is prefer what <laughs> Switzerland? I mean, also this is a subject to change. You know, it's it's also it's not always constant. You have to find out a little bit. You, sometimes you feel a bank want to go out of a sector. Like also like. My main profession also was accountant and I'm still working as accountant too. So I'm actually, I'm working really a lot, to be honest. <laughs> so um, already from accounting and from interacting uh, with banks as accountant, I also feel that I, you can tell if a bank want to leave a sector, if they want to increase their share in the real estate market or not. Same like with company financing, if they want to increase or not. The best for this is really just approach them. Approach them and see which rate they offer. This is the simplest way to tell it, actually. Because even I would give give information out here, I don't even know if this is still valid in two years. Because it really depends. Also, it depends which city. So you just have to try it out, basically. Exactly what you talk about is really you see things from multiple different angles, right? Like you even see from banks balance sheet angle that if the bank wants to increase their real estate holdings or reduce it, that's so insightful mm -hmm. because now as an individual investor, I think on behalf of the audience, we need to think about what does it mean to the bank? What does it mean to the sellers? Not just what does it mean to you yourself? You have to use the information to your best advantage when it comes to negotiation. So my next question would be negotiation. So what, what are usually the advice you would give it to people in order to get the best deal out of it? You mean with the rate or with the price? Of the, um, you mean with the price of the property rate, order or the rate to the bank? Uh, price with the seller. And sometimes you have this, uh, how to say, agent in the middle. So it's a little bit tricky. So how would you approach that? And the second question is the rate with the bank, the interest rate. So I said the interest rate, I would just go for you need good numbers. If you have good numbers, then it's fine. Also here, we really have to differentiate. For example, in Switzerland, the, the property for own use, the property for investing 
it's really different. There's no compare. Like the change in calculation occurs usually with three units. One and two unit is called private. It basically goes on your private liability. Like how much money do you make as income, how much risk you can take. And after three, it's more on the building. So the building numbers, how much it makes is much more important. So you have to you have to know what you what you talk about. And yeah, so this will matter than the, the percentage. This is important if you have a one or two units, because in your personal liability, it's just important how much money you make. The more money you make, the lower is the rate. And also if the building is undervalued, the bank will see it. You know, if you get a Zurich flat for, I don't know, four and a half room for maybe 600,000, the bank will see it and they will think, okay, that's fine. And also if you make a half million income or 100,000, it of course depends on the rate. But in multiple flat houses, it's much more like how much money actually this house makes compared to how much it costs. So the more money it makes to compare with the lower it costs, the better it is basically. Let's say if a multi-unit house and then one investors buy it, and then the ROI is good yeah. and the investment yeah. is good. So the bank will evaluate the cash flow ROI from the building itself rather than how much money as income this investor makes. Because in Switzerland, okay, yeah. So for the audience information in Switzerland, I think it's the same in your country that when you buy a real estate property, the bank evaluates if you can afford to pay based on your salary. But in this case, if you buy multi-units house, the banks evaluate based on the income from the house rather than from your personal salary. Completely correct. It's like buying a business, basically. Yes. It will be similar to that, just with housing in this case. So this is this this was the answer to the question, right? Yes. What was the and other then, question again? You have to help me out. Uh, so this question is, you gave us an answer is go with the lowest rate. But I have a follow-up question is, does it matter with which bank or because when you have a banking relationship with like a, a banker would it help you or you really think it, it doesn't matter just go with the lowest rate difficult question i think personal sympathy is important you know also depends of course entirely which country you are i know that in some countries it really matters and some countries it's really important I, I really accept that personally i always think numbers is the most important thing if you have good numbers you always find good deals if you have bad numbers you really need to the, then you might need the relation better is to just have a good house with good numbers, healthy numbers, and then you're really fine. You can go with every, everything. And yeah. that's the, you should always focus on this. Like I always think important is you have a good house, you maintain, maintain it, you have good tenants, which appreciate it, you will have good numbers, and then you're fine. Then you will always find a good bank. Yeah. This you don't need to worry. And how about negotiating? You, one of the other question was negotiating the price, the buying price, right? It's challenging. Okay, I want to really say we have uh, inflation in the asset prices. It's not easy. And you, of course, have to understand where you can negotiate and where not. My approach to this, and I would actually suggest that to anybody, not just real estate, in everywhere. And um, as I say, my portfolio is multi-millions by now. And it was, it went pretty quick to those multi-million numbers. And it took like from 2014 till maybe 2019 to go like into the multi-millions. So I think important is to really run your numbers, not other people's numbers, not the seller's numbers, it's yours numbers. And you really, and I'm pretty strict. If I think this house has this value, I will exactly pay that much. I have, maybe I negotiate a little bit up, maybe a little bit. But if it goes after this level, which I have in mind, then I will, I'm out, I will not do it. I think... 
then for me that's not my thing then i will not do it you know and i think you really have to discipline you, you shouldn't be emotional like i calculate how much i i want from this building how much is it worth based on this profit i want and renovations so really have to calculate that of course I will have a second calculation thinking also the potential of this estate. And then I will come up with a number which matches the price right now. That's important for the buying price right now. Because the bank will only look at this or mainly at this. And as a second, I also think what I could make out of this house. That's less important for the buying price, but more important for me, like for the long-term view. But then I will give a number and go with this. And the best to negotiate this, the price, personally, I made, sometimes I make my calculations, I even show them to the sellers. Like I literally even go to the, the broker and say, look, this is my calculation. This is the value of this house. It's not more, it's not less, it's exactly this value. And sometimes this is below what they want to sell for. Sometimes also with the broker or even with the board, I tell this. And really the exact number. It's not unusual that they just say, all right, this is, I see, this is obviously very justified. I'm going to sell it for this value. Yeah. So it's, it's not unusual. Surely you have to make sure that you can actually do it. There's very hot market. They're a little bit overheated. Zurich City would be one of them. You probably not easily can do that because they will simply say, I don't care. Somebody will pay it, which is probably true because there's some people in this market that don't want to make money they just want to park the money for later <laughs> so it's they don't they have a different you don't need to compete with those people because they don't want to have an investment they just want to park money and you don't want that then you shouldn't do it you need to have a proper profit which should also cover the long-term costs of this estate and have give you flexibility for other things but you can show those numbers, especially apart from the main centers. On even sometime in city centers, I actually did this many times. In two, two occasions, we're talking 10 units. They're in Swiss, it's pretty expensive though. They just agree with my numbers. They just say, okay, like they don't like it sometimes because they think it's much lower than what they want. But I just say, look, this is the price. And um, sometimes those houses that were in the market already for more than two years and nobody bought because they thought I, why can I not sell for my price they think they look at their house but they don't even know themselves so good they think why nobody buys and the reason is it doesn't finance good okay it's not financeable easy it's difficult to finance and I think a financial solution how to finance this building and then I will show them exactly the solution and when they see it, sometimes they realize, oh, okay, this is really the reason. Like, it looks like it looks much more than it actually is. And then sometimes they have to swallow this pill and go, okay, then this is the price and they sell it for this price. And then I buy it. Have you ever experienced that the price that you offered is like so much lower than the price they asked for, say 20% lower or even more? Does it happen? Did it happen in the past? Yes, totally. Absolutely. Also, we have to say, I personally go also for sometimes a little bit complicated buildings. I have buildings in city centers and some outside. So sometimes I have buildings in city centers, they are 
more than 100 years old. They're 100 years old. They maybe have restaurants or be not. A little bit funny structure. And also the tenant mix is sometimes like... Um, challenging and yeah then you really have to find a bank once and really you have to find a bank actually finance this it's not even easy you have to show them something works also you have one challenge the next thing you have to convince is the broker and convince the seller and i'm pretty transparent i really gave out my numbers if they see it yeah they just say okay then i have to agree some of them also don't agree i said look don't problem you can come again talk to me in six months or any time no problem and it's actually sometimes they come six months later and say, look, it's probably true. Oh, I love that. You just leave your offer on the table. They can take it later on if they decide to. Uh, they can take it any time. Like, it's no problem. They can call, I pick up. No, no offense. No, and also if the deal doesn't come, it's, it's no, no bad feelings. It's fine. You know, I think everybody should find the seller which they suit. Yeah. Also, I think important is to find out what the seller wants. And I think you'd really respect this wish. It's also a point actually you shouldn't underestimate. Like, what does this person want? Some people, they just want money. That's okay. Then you give them the money you think it's right for this property if it matches their vision. Some people also think, I want the tenants to stay. Like, I like those tenants. I have a personal relationship. You just have to guarantee me that they stay. I will check then, honestly, if I can justify that. If I think the number justify that, then I will say, okay, then I abide as it is and I will not change nothing. It's a gentleman's word and I will not. And others also want wanted sympathy, right? So um, like they just, they think they have enough money sometimes or sometimes even not, but they think I just want somebody is friendly and I like, and I really respect that. I think that's totally fine. Yeah, maybe you should give it to somebody you, you think is a friendly person, which you actually care about. And yeah, and I think uh, this is also important. Like, are you a friendly person? I think this is important. And then also point is the, the speed is very important. If you have your own numbers and I can really see a document and it goes fast, like I can make up my mind four minutes. You know, I read it four minutes, then I can almost already tell a number and it, it's almost confirmed like that. It's pretty sure like that. And, and I have everything ready. I have the cash ready. I prepared everything. So I can sometimes, I, I could buy within one hour. For example, once uh, there was a five units in a city center old building, a little bit challenging, to be honest. And I know that other people, they don't know the market so good. They don't know the numbers so good. They don't have the bank relations ready. It will take weeks and they're very emotional. Then they want to talk about their feelings. It's good, but it takes a while. And then maybe they say no. Then the seller, he want to hurry up. Like I had this seller, he said he, he was moving to America and he had a lot of houses, I think like 10 multiple flat houses all over the city. It was his last one. And he was actually just about to leave like within one week. Like he sold everything in Switzerland. He really sold everything in Wickham and, and go to America and reinvest everything in America. It's pretty crazy. And that was his very last unit. I love this unit. I still have this, this multiple flat house in the city. And I think he just want to be fast. He really wanted to be fast. And he had a buyer. And this buyer, for whatever reason, jumped off. And actually, they didn't chose my offer. I was probably only second. Maybe there was, a, I think this was a very good object. They had like 100 people want this object. 100 people. There, I know I don't need to negotiate. It was just good from the spot was a perfect for a totally fair price a very fair price 
I called them. I said, I would buy for this price. It's, it's good. I, I will check it. I checked it. But somebody was even faster. And then I said, for whatever reason, this person then jumped off. It can be anything. It can be a private reason. Maybe this person just got a divorce, you know, suddenly. And uh, then they, they, they cannot handle that. So they have, then I was, they called me and said, look, the person jumped off. And if I want to overtake, I said, sure. Because they know I can do it very quick. And then I think within one week, it's notarized. Like within two days, everything was ready. And by the end of the week, it was basically notarized. And okay. this person was also going to America like by the end of those weeks. So that was really fast. Perfect. Yeah. So perfect. speed here is also important. Like some people just want speed. It doesn't even matter for them a little bit more, a little bit less in money, but they want it quick. Uh, there's so much wisdom from this story. You give the seller what it wants. Maybe it's easier to negotiate the price or easier to even yeah. get the property, right? If there's a yes. Some, some properties is about the speed. Some properties is about friendliness. Some properties purely price. I, I am actually the most careful with properties. They're only about the price. This is, is tricky. And um, about price alone is not a problem. If it's only the price, it's still doable. But you really have to also check who you want to compete with. If you compete with people, they pay anything, they just want to park their money, even they make a loss. There's some people, they, they, they make easy money. They buy something for 10 million. And if they later on get 9.5, they're fine. You can maybe not bear. I think most people, they cannot bury that. And yeah. then I would say, don't compete with them. Then you also have to know when you should go out. That's why I say, really run your numbers. It's the most crucial thing. You should really become competent in this and read a lot about this as well. You will always find something good. Also here, I think you should really, yeah, really be honest with yourself. If this, the price is too high, then I don't do it. I really don't do it. I say a thousand times no if needed. I will just check if the rate between yes and no is one to hundred. Then I will just check 100 buildings more. Like I will just check more. I will not just then say, okay, I say yes, even I don't like it. Then I will just not do it. On the flip side, would you do it if, let's say, the price is lower than what is acceptable, even though are other disadvantages comes together with this building? If the price is lower because of disadvantages, yeah, for sure. I will, then it matters. Can you solve those problems? I'm actually also, as I said, I have many buildings that were sometimes difficult and I'm somewhat of a problem solver. Also here, we have to say some people cannot do that or don't want to do it. And I see myself also that, it, especially in nowadays market, I think it's difficult to just buy property just from the spot, you know, just from the catalog. I think often they're pretty expensive, not even that great, but if you can solve problems, this is really what is matters. And I'm really focused on that. Like I said, speed is a problem solver. This person wanted very quick. I solve his problem and that's good. Or sometimes it's different. Sometimes there's a building, they say the price is not important, but I want to maintain, I want to keep the management of the building. It happens. Then maybe you could say yes. So this mm -hmm. is this also one thing. Or I said the tenant stays, this is a thing. Or restaurant business. It's also tricky. Restaurant business is tricky. They can be challenging. You have to really think about it. Especially restaurant things are difficult to finance. But if you know how to finance things, it could be a thing to think about. Yeah. Also, the question is, how good can you renovate? And how good can you work? Can you assess those things? I have the experience as well that 
you know, I can go through a building and pretty much say, okay, this flat I can renovate and how much is it? I'm pretty realistic with prices. Like I can go in there, I know the floor is that much, I can immediately imagine this. So while I walk through a house, I can immediately tell how much is needed to do. And if you can do it, yes, I think important is you have to evaluate like how much you need to invest and how much needs to be done. And this also needs to be negotiated. As I said, in these complicated buildings, you need to be a problem solver. If you can say, solve their problems, you can make the deals because this is also a sweet spot. If you can solve their problems, you can make the deals. Okay, I'm going to mark that. Maybe a highlight of this uh, interview. <laughs> you have to, you know, in the end, you have to solve the seller's problem and you have to solve the financial issues, like the financing issue. And you have to connect both dots together and then you have to see if you can stand behind this deal or not. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I do. Amazing. And the more complicated it is, as I said, the more challenging it is. But this is also a good spot. Like uh, you, I always say, you have to watch out who's your concurrents. Like, who is other people? How many people, let's say a big fund, you invest, you're a big fund, you have 200 million to invest. Can you actually then care, let's say, or even more like 800 million or 1 billion funds? Can you care a building of 2 millions? No, you can't. This is not important for you. And especially older buildings, for example, like they're, they're too complex. They just want this very square new builds. Like they can evaluate that because for every little thing, a big fund then would have to send the expert. It's difficult. It's a lot of times, it's too much decisions, too much little things. And they are very, the big companies are very slow. They have a big lines. Like they need to 10 times ask somebody else if this is okay, can't do this. But if you can solve those problems, give them a reliable answer fast, you're really valuable for the seller as well. And I have uh, one last question related to the mistakes. What do you think are the common mistakes people make when it comes to real estate uh, investment? Okay, there's multiple ones. Mm, let me think. First, I think, that, of course, the obvious one is you buy too expensive. Right? We have to first differentiate as well. Is it for own use or is it for investment? Here I have to make it clear. I really only speak about investment. Own use properties, one unit or two, are actually, I wouldn't say it's a consumer good. That's not correct. But would I really call it a cash generating asset? I don't think so. It's not because the value increases, but it's difficult to get this money out to reinvest this. So let's say you're 50 years in there. Congratulations. It increased by 300,000 and now. You have 300,000 by the age 50 years later, you're pretty old by now. So it's not so valuable. So I'm really talking about investing properties. Investing properties, and I think not just properties. If you buy too expensive, of course, it's not good. And here you should be realistic and really have your numbers and know them, not rely on other people's numbers. I see, by the way, sometimes even in the sales data, they were wrong. I don't know by mistake sometimes or why. I saw that many times. So don't buy too expensive. And then second thing is, think good how much the renovations will cost. It can be quite a lot. And really think about this carefully. It's also important to consider that too. Location, of course, is also important. Where it, here it does have common sense. You, you check, you can go how much flats are empty in this city or in this town, and then run your numbers. But uh, price state renovations that's all important 
So not taking into consideration of other costs that might incur from the building after you bought it. So that people yes, have to yes. think about, yeah. Even uh, I cannot, I, I don't know what else and as an example, maybe heating system, it has to be replaced, it's too old. But look, I can tell you some, there's roof, plumbing, like water, electricity, floors, tenants. I had also sometimes some buildings had challenging tenants I bought. And this will put people off. They're not easy sometimes. Some people that don't appreciate where they live. This is also something like they, they can be damaged. Maybe they don't even have owning insurance. This can happen. Also, I don't want to go too technical, but also you have to watch out. The bank give credit on their value. The bank has not on your value. On the best is, of course, the bank's value is your value. But the bank give credit on your value not the sale price. So if the rest to the sale price, you have to cover with own capital. So it can be that, for example, the, the bank value, make an easy example. The buildings have a sale price of 1 million. Okay, the bank's value is 900,000. So the bank will only lend you 75% on 900,000. The rest you have to cover with own capital. So which means you already have to have, uh, you get 75% loan on 900,000, plus the other 100,000 is pure own capital because they say, the bank say that's over my value. You have to cover that. So it can be that actually by now you have quite a lot of own capital in this house, but you think, oh, I'm pretty secure. I have a lot of own capital, but for the bank, you are maximal lended. You already are at the limit of their lending power, even though you give 100,000 extra cash. What happens is, if now the house makes less rent or the market change, they just say the interest go up. I actually don't give this value anymore so high. It can be that they will not extend the credit with you. It can even be that they basically say, now this house has instead of 900,000 value, for us it's only 700 or 800,000 value. So basically now they only lend you 75% of 800,000. So you have to have another 100,000 cash to even be qualify. And in a heated market like this, I think you should be aware of such. That's a challenge. You can think that if you don't know the bank numbers, you could think that you have a lot of own capital in the house, but it's not. You are maximal lended. You have the maximum credit for them. So if, if they change the interest or if they change um, their valuation, you have to cover everything with your own money. Yeah, that lowers the eventually ROI if you put your own money inside. And not just the ROI, but really it could be that they will not extend the credit. Yeah. The way and it's then not you're out, you have to sell. Yeah. You know, you okay, have to you sell. Have to sell. It's like a foreclosure or they give you a time frame to get to, to liquidate it. Usually I didn't have the situation yet myself. But I just consider it. I think they will give you a time limit when you have to bring fresh capital in. In very extreme situation, I don't know, maybe could they even have a clause to, to cancel the credit? I don't know any exactly. But I, it could be that latest at the extension period when the credit expires. Because in Swiss, by the way, it's not like another country, you don't do often 30 years credit. Sometimes you only do two years or five years or 10 years. It's not unusual here in this country. So it can be that just don't extend. And it could be that then other banks will also not extend because the market changed. So then suddenly you own, you have, uh, you have to, you cannot extend the credit. So you need suddenly a lot of cash or you sell off houses.
And yeah. usually exactly this moment, you don't want to sell off houses. <laughs> then you have this ripple effect yeah. going through. You have to sell in an inconvenient moment. So I'm pretty conservative also with the financial managers. Like I think, yeah, that's why I said again, you should watch those things that when you buy. And mm -hmm. if you're unsure, better say no till you right. find something really suits. All right. Thank you so much for all the valuable information. I have just one last question sure. that if you are willing to share with the audience that what is this mistake that you made in your real estate investing that you learned lesson from you want to share with the, the rest? Mistakes. Oh, no mistake. You can also say there's no mistake. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Actually, there was not many mistakes. I really, as I said, look, my approach is pretty conservative. So the mistake you could look the mistake i think i didn't have much mistake like i didn't have none of the units i had was ever there was challenges yes but i all priced them in so it's never something happened that i say oh my god i would not have made it if i knew that i never had this i never actually i had much more the opposite that i actually it actually most of the time it came exactly as i planned or much better okay like i really I have objects, they are doubled in value, like yeah. in just a couple of years. And that doubled the cash flow. Because I, I knew that they are great. I love them. They're super. But people didn't appreciate it. And now I have people, they love it too. And and they're still, even the people they rent, they still say it's pretty cheap actually. But it's double than what before, maybe. And the only thing we, you could criticize is that this strategy, you grow less in quantity. Like you could also say you could go in more aggressively and just go much more aggressively. You just go more quantity. Okay, you have to also have the capital for that, but you could do that too. I could grow faster, I guess. I deliberately don't want to grow too fast, even though I have to say, compared with most investors, I probably grow super strong, like a lot. But I personally see it that I could grow even stronger this would be possible. I just don't decide to it. I just want a sustainable growth. Yeah. So it's not that fast, but it's steady and it's safe, uh, relatively in a way, within your calculated risk. Yeah. Look, there's, look, I also want to say I could also make a company and then I have many people that come to me and they say, I would like to have a company with you. Could I give, could I give, could I give you money? Could you invest it for me? I have that a lot, actually. Like I have millions. I could just probably with a couple of phone calls organize. And some people also say I should do it. I should expand and just do much more quantity. And I think I could do it. I also think I can evaluate this. Ah, oh, it's just difficult. Like I also have three kids and I have to check that private time and everything. I could do that. So I one thing, if one thing, probably if I'm 80 years old, if I look back at my life and I will say one thing maybe was not perfect, maybe I will say it's what was not fast enough growth or not enough leverage yeah but also i'm a family dad i also want to be a little bit conservative so yeah i want to be secure you know yeah i understand if the audience like they like what you talk about they want to get more information they want to learn from you or they want to invest in you in case you started a company uh, how can people <laughs> reach out to you i have a facebook account you can join me there follow me or or ask friend request if you like. Beyond this, I actually don't have much platform yet. Maybe I will make a channel myself in the future to talk more about my experience and I'll give more concretely instructions. 
you know, like to follow up, like really with Excel or really concretely with concrete examples. Then you can maybe reach out to me. Yes, if I decide please. to do it, then you can follow me if you like, and then I will share more detailed information. I also think it's a good thing because if people make good deals, I think it's good for everybody. I really believe yeah. that. I think people should match each other. If the bank matches with the seller, matches with the buyer, everybody's happy. And this is the fraction is low. It's a win-win situation. And I think exactly. it's a good thing for sociality. And I think it's even a good thing for the city, a good thing for the country. I think everybody wins. Then I would just say, if you one day opens your YouTube channel, then let's catch up again. And then <laughs> everybody can follow you. And thank you so much for being here with us, David. Thank you much, Yad. It was so nice to have you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fast Track Podcast. Show me your support by liking this episode and sharing it with a friend. Join the Facebook group at Fast Track Podcast One, or you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and of course the homepage FastTrack.life. See you in the next episode.